Welcome to Taking the Middle Seat, a podcast where we explore connection where you might not think it exists. I'm your host, Andrea, and I've always believed there is connection to be made when you sit next to someone and really take in their story. So every couple weeks, I'm taking the middle seat. I'm listening in on someone's story because I know that the middle seat holds healing and acceptance and laughter and community if we just stay open and remember that we belong to each other. I hope you'll listen into each and every episode and that you'll find yourself moving in to hear the magic in the middle seat. This is episode six of Taking the Middle Seat, and today I'm interviewing my wise teacher, my friend, Val Cobbs. She is the senior regional manager at the National Kidney Foundation, and I met her through my work with the Transplant Center. I will tell you, the minute I met her, she made me feel like we were connected. Just right in that moment, she's so radiant, and I cannot wait for you to hear her words. We talk a lot about diabetes and high blood pressure, and you guys are going to be like, why are they going on about high diabetes and high blood pressure? Well, because they are the leading causes of kidney failure, and that is the world that we are talking about. She also references two acronyms, DPP and DIP. DPP is the Diabetes Prevention Program. DIP is Diabetes Improvement Program. Both of those programs are crazy successful, and it's mostly because Val is a tireless advocate for communities that are affected by those chronic diseases, which is basically every single person. You'll hear what motivates her to do this work because when I say she is tireless, I am not kidding you guys. She gets up and lives and breathes advocacy and I love it. Her vision is so grand. Her heart is so big for people and I just love her. All right, so I'm also going to give you a little to-do list. Um, I've mentioned these things before, but I'm going to say them again because this is what um, makes this community get better and better. Please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, rate it, and review it. I just posted a little Facebook video on how to review the podcast. It features my daughter dancing in the background, so if you want to check that out. Um, The reviews were giving people some trouble, so um, go check out the video and then put in a review. Don't forget to follow the Facebook page um, and don't forget to message me and or email me if you had feedback for the show or you have guest ideas. I would love all of that. Each and every one of those things makes this community at Taking the Middle Seat grow. And if this grows, that means connection grows. And that is where my heart is. I love it. All right. Now that we've covered the details, let's get to the interview with Val Cobbs. Val Cobbs, welcome to Taking the Middle Seat. Thank you. I am so glad you're here because I think you're awesome. You are awesome as well. (laughs) So I'm excited. I've been counting down the day. Yay. It's one of the few things that I have not forgotten to do. So I love it. (laughs) Yes. I wrote it down in my paper planner. Yeah. Are you an electronic planner person? God, no. Paper paper planner. Absolutely. High five. I love it. Um, So I have you here because you're amazing and... Because you are, and tell me if I have this right, the senior regional manager, right, of the National Kidney Foundation. Mm -hmm. And probably most people that are listening know that I work in the world of kidney transplant, because most people listening know me. Um, (laughs) But that's how we met, is through our work there. And I think that, um, well, first of all, tell about how you landed there, like a little bit about you and how you got to the National Kidney Foundation. 
So, all right, I've been there for 18 years, and it really, truly, oh I think gosh, I landed I there by mistake. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I worked for another nonprofit, Easter Seals, okay. for 10 years uh, with a, a lovely woman named Beth Bowers. And okay. Beth left Easter Seals and went to the National Kidney Foundation. Got it. And she called me for years to come and work there. And I'm like, no, I love Easter Seals. I love what I'm doing. It's great. I love you. But we remained really good friends. So I would see her all the time because uh, we had a program there that her family utilized when they came over to, to the States. from. Okay. So we always stayed in contact and uh one time she called me and I was like, no, I love it. I'm, you know, I don't know anything about kidneys. Mm-hmm. And then her husband, who uh, was very influential in my life, called me and said, listen here, Easter mm-hmm. Seals is going under, which it didn't, but it's going under and you need to take this chance. And I was like, yeah, I don't want to work with my own people. I don't want to do it because the program was a program for African-Americans. Okay. And I was like, I don't want to. Mm-hmm. But I ended up coming over uh, to the National Kidney Foundation in 2000 and it was just fate. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been there growing and learning since then. So mm-hmm. that's how it happened. And there you are uh-huh. doing your thing. 18 mm-hmm. years. My 18 goodness. Years. I'm barely 18, so I don't know how right? this happened. I don't know. That's weird. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think that, be- well, before I got into the world of kidneys and transplant, I would have thought that the Kidney Foundation, I don't know, like gave some money assistance to people that have kidney disease to mm-hmm. I don't know, buy medications or something Mm -hmm. like that, just kind of basic. But when I met you, which was pretty early on, um, I learned of the program that I think is near and dear to your heart, the Diabetes Prevention Program. And I think I have so many people that come through my line of work that have no idea that there's a connection between diabetes and high blood pressure and obesity Mm -hmm. and kidney failure. Um, So you have taught me all of all about that, that there's such a connection. So talk about a little bit about that work and why it's so cool. Well, I tell you, I uh, got this program across my desk one day and they, from the state office, our state office asked me, what did I think about it? And I was like, well, this is very interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was excited. Kidney disease is very personal to me. I have a a very strong history of kidney failure and diabetes um, in my family. So, I knew that when I started, my dad already had diabetes. My mom did not at that time. Okay. So, um, and my dad's diabetes has never been controlled. It's hypertension. We have a, a specific type of hypertension that's really hard to fight within our family. Okay. Um, and you get it when you're really young and all of this. So I knew that. And when this program came about, I thought, wow, this could really save people's lives. And it seemed pretty simple in theory mm-hmm. for people who are ready. Mm-hmm. And my thing is... People don't know that they're ready because they don't know that this is a killer for them because they tell you you have hypertension and you wake up the next day. You look great, yep. put your makeup on, you're feeling good. They tell you you have diabetes, you eat what you want, uh-huh. and you might not feel that good, but you recover and you go on about your day. Mm-hmm. So you have no idea that this is killing you. Mm-hmm. And so with this program, we're able to say, hey, this is what causes kidney failure. And I always say, your kidneys fall out your back. And the mm-hmm. doctor said to me, you know, Val, it doesn't actually fall out your back, but I feel like it gets attention. Yeah. You are killing these two little things that you don't know anything about that you so desperately need. Mm -hmm. So it's like, oh, if we can empower people in the community to share these tidbits of information and what they can do to save their kidney at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. then it's your life's work. And so I've made it my life's work to be able to to offer them something to say, you're at risk right now. Mm -hmm. 
right? So you have elevated blood sugar. You are, so people get their biometric screenings and it's a little bit off, but nobody talks to them about it. You know, there's yep. an H, so it's high, but how high is it? Right. Is it 101 or is it 124? Yeah. And then what do I need to do with that? And that's what this program really works with people to say, you can bring yourself out of the pre-diabetic range mm -hmm. and then you can really decrease your risk of developing diabetes. And by increasing or decreasing your risk of developing diabetes, you do not have to end up in renal failure. Yes. And that is the best news. It's to me exactly what the Kidney Foundation should be doing. Yes. Trying to prevent kidney failure. So uh, we partner with Spectrum and Mercy, who you work for, uh -huh. is our largest sponsor in West Michigan. So we've been able to do so much work in this realm, um, even offering it. We started out and it was all in Caucasians. We're the only ones involved in these classes, which is normally how it happens. Mm -hmm. Not that it wasn't offered mm -hmm. to others. That's mm -hmm. just who came. Uh -huh. And then I realized we need to do more than this because we're saying we've got it and you come to it and you get it, but that yeah. doesn't work. Yep. So what that leads is uh, communities of color left behind once again because they mm -hmm. won't come get it. And right. the expectation is come get it. Mm -hmm. But we've learned historically it's not going to happen. So I went after funding so that we could go to those communities and say, hey, we've got this for you. And yep. all you have to do is bite and we're going to teach you how to save your own life. Mm -hmm. And it is working amazingly. We have like 15 Hispanic classes now. We didn't have any a year ago. There's, they're just coming out of the woodwork. I know. We've got two Hispanic doctors that are involved that are tied to um, Spanish-speaking churches or congregations. Okay. That's how all of these classes are coming about, that the pastors and the priests are speaking from the pulpit about this, and it is working so lovely with mm -hmm. these Hispanic moms. Yeah. And I think it's added twofold. So they're adding health, but it also has empowered a community of women that don't necessarily have a lot of power, yep. but they have power over their home. And so this is really cool that they are changing their lives, but they're also impacting the lives of their husbands and their children mm -hmm. by changing these eating habits, but not taking away their traditional meals. Mm -hmm. But it's like when we were at a training and somebody said they eat 15 small tortillas per meal, and it's like seven or eight for the children. And I thought, here's the problem right here. This is why obesity like is so one rampant. Person would eat one person. Now they're the small ones, right. but fifteen. And so they, I was stunned, and I'm questioning wow. this. Yes. And they said, well, it's like how Americans eat bread. And I yeah. said, but it's not because we don't eat fifteen pieces of it's bread <laughs> with a meal, but we do like bread. Yeah. But I look at those tortillas, and so. Andrea, as I look at you, your fat grams would probably be either 33 or 42 fat grams in this diabetes prevention program. Mm -hmm. Each tortilla is six fat grams. So if you look at six times 15, mm -hmm. you've eaten possibly three days of fat grams in just tortillas. This is what we're teaching these yes. women. So yes, still have tortillas. Yeah. Do we need 15? We teach them how to break it up so that you have a bite with each piece that you're eating, things like that. Yeah. So you still get the taste of what you enjoy. Yeah. But you're and, not going to kill yourself over tortillas. Yeah. And like you said, you're not taking that whole tradition away. That absolutely that meal away. You have but to you know, right. still incorporate yeah. their traditions. And the their program customers. is really choice based. We don't take anything away, but you mm -hmm. figure out how to fit these things into your day. So it's what's lovely. It's the magic 
of the diabetes prevention program because if you love ice cream and you want it every day, you can have ice cream every day. Mm-hmm. You just need to figure out how to fit it into your day. So I say it's a lot like Weight Watchers with love mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. the program also deals with a lot of spirit issues surrounding yeah. obesity because obesity is not just a form of food. Mm-hmm. It is the emotion and the food is just what we use Right to treat the feelings that we have. Mm -hmm. And so we work so much in that realm of what led us to this and what hurt did we have that we might not even be thinking about anymore, but you internalize it all and you start to have these feelings. Grabbing you something to eat takes it all away. It's such a great smoother of emotion in the immediate. But we really want people to work through what they're feeling so that they can say, I'm okay sitting in this feeling right now. Or it's okay to feel abandoned and hurt and lost and guilt and shame. It's okay to feel those and you don't have to fill it with alcohol and food and whatever else people use. Right. Um, So that is the magic. That's the part where people say it's like Weight Watchers. Weight Watchers doesn't have that. Yeah. And uh, it's magical. I actually didn't know that it had an emotional, spiritual component. Oh, my component. goodness. Huge. I'm so glad to hear that because mm-hmm. I used to, before my life in kidney transplant, I worked at, I, um, oh, what do you call it? Um, oh, my gosh. Why am I not thinking of it? The weight loss surgery oh, yeah. office. Oh, yeah. And they, that was completely missing from that whole process. It is. They go, um, I've had weight loss surgery. And I'll tell you, you can see what size I am. You guys on the podcast cannot, but I still have issues because it doesn't yeah. deal. You have one meeting that qualifies you yep, and you lie or say whatever, yep. but you don't realize it often because a lot of this is all internalized. So you yep. don't realize how this outwardly affects you. So you see that psychologist or whoever, social worker, and you, yeah, I'm ready and I'm totally prepared. Mm-hmm. The minute you get out of that surgery, you're looking for a whopper or something mm-hmm. because that now you've had trauma to the body yep. and you instantly want food and that does not change with this surgery Absolutely so not. you get this dumping syndrome you're in a lot of pain but you work figure out how to work around yeah. it how to work through the pain because you're trying to deal with emotion yeah and so there are seven sessions of the 16 weeks that deal all with spirit. Oh, I love that. So important, right? Yes. And I feel like it's the magic of why people are so successful. So the Diabetes Prevention Program is a program from the Center for Disease Control. Mm -hmm. And so it is strongly evidence-based. Okay. And it is the first, starting this April 1st, the first preventative program that Medicare is covering in the country. Wow. The only one. Wow. Is diabetes prevention. So that's costing us tons of money. Right. (laughs) To work in this realm of diabetes. And what I also love is that some of these people will will naturally become diabetics, but they're going to be wonderful diabetics who can manage their diabetes through lifestyle, which is the way to manage it. Yeah. So I tell people, you know, I'm on a pill and I'm not getting the shot. So I'm managing my diabetes. And it's like, no, even if you take a pill, then you're not managed. Yep. Or my A1C is at 7, so I'm okay. And it's yeah. like, but that's what doctors say. But when you're at 7.1, 1 point over, you're completely out of control. Yeah. This is not managed well. Diabetics' sugar levels should be in a pre-diabetic range. That's when you're managing it well mm-hmm. and through diet and exercise. So it works so beautifully for diabetics as well. Yeah. Let me tell you what happened, Andrea. Tell me. So I went to Priority Health to fund this, mm-hmm. and they did it kind of like a grant scholarship for uh-huh. us. So wildly successful that it is now a preventative code. So anybody with Priority Health commercial gets this just like they would a well baby checkup or a physical. Yeah. All they have to do is is meet these qualifiers. So I had all these secret diabetics in my class because... <laughs> 
the diabetics are who we should really, really be touching at the Kidney Foundation. So when I would get these diabetics, I couldn't say no because that's who we should be targeting. So I'm like, okay. And then I got into trouble at the Kidney Foundation about it because we couldn't send this data to the CDC. Mm -hmm. And and I'm like, okay. So I got in trouble, but I continued to do it. Mm -hmm. I called them then (laughs) secret diabetics. I like it. Yeah, so I just wouldn't send in their data. I would keep it all to myself. Mm -hmm. And then there was a gentleman who was a diabetic in this class, and he hated me at the beginning. He was so mean to me, and he was the guy that opened up the doors at the church because that's Uh where the class was. So every week he would complain and fuss, and he was just mean. Uh So one day I saw him, and I'm in my car like, all right, Lord, I'm ready. Uh Uh-huh. And he's like, I need to talk to you. And I thought, uh-oh, it's going down. Here we go. But when he called me in, Andrea, he said, I want you to know that I almost died a couple of weeks ago. Oh, my gosh. I was at Red Lobster. I got the seafood platter. Um, I ate it, and I became instantly short of breath. I fell out, um, and I just asked God not to let me die uh-huh. and that I would change if I didn't die. So he didn't die. His, his wife nurtured him, who was an RN. Uh-huh. He didn't die, and he picked up his DPP. This is a true story. He picked up his DPP stuff and started doing it, but never told me. Uh-huh. Still mean. Um, and he said, I just want you to know that um, it has been four weeks, uh-huh. and I am off of 56 units of Lantus. <laughs> Holy it's, moly. Yeah, yeah. And that I am now coming off of my blood pressure medication, and I'm no longer on antacids. Four weeks. This man now went on, he's 73 now, Uh went on to lose 113 pounds on no medication, and he has um, end-stage heart disease. So he did it with actually no physical activity. It was all eating, and it was all eating the way that they teach diabetics to eat. You can eat cheese. You can eat all the meat you want. You know, if you just Mm -hmm. watch these carbs, and so people are loaded up on fats because there's no carbs in them. But fats are killing. Mm -hmm. It is not carbs. It's a myth. And this is why I believe all these diabetics are moving into kidney failure. Mm-hmm. So he, his name is Jim. He wrote a letter uh-huh. to Priority Health and to the Kidney Foundation. Uh-huh. And he actually had Blue Cross coverage. But uh-huh. he wrote them a letter and said, essentially, how dare you let me die uh-huh. when there is a program that can save my life. This program has clearly saved my life. This is where I am. And right now, at the four-week mark, mm-hmm. um, my insurance is uh, being saved for $500 a month just on fast acting or in his Lantis. Mm-hmm. Well, Priority Health got that mm-hmm. after I had been written up about it sure. and um, said, hey, we need to talk about whatever this is uh-huh. that happened. We want you guys to develop something for diabetics. So we did. Oh, my gosh. So it's called DIP. It's our diabe- diabetes improvement program, mm-hmm. very much like DPP. Love it. But we work with CARB because that's what diabetics know. Mm-hmm. Now, what's beautiful about the diabetes prevention program is if you stay within your fat gram goal, your carbs are in order, too. So you don't okay. have to count carbs. So you just have to get diabetics to trust it. And once they trust it, what happens to a pre-diabetic is cute. What happens to a diabetic in this program is absolutely 100% life-saving yeah it's the most beautiful thing to see so now we're in the first year pilot where we're doing 100 diabetics with a1c's over 7.5 okay um and we're jamming already we have 11 classes going and um it's incredible to see within the first two weeks what's happening to diabetics that's amazing Mm -hmm. and i think diabetes like 
so many things. I mean, my deep belief is that we're all connected in some way. Absolutely. And, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, those folks are connected through diabetes. Absolutely. But whatever, that's Mm -hmm. their connection. And then they get in a room, and they could be white, green, purple, blue, 75, 23, Mm -hmm. and they find that sense of community. Mm -hmm. And I just know that that's where magic happens. Because yes. not only are they getting healthier, but they're also seeing other people that don't look like them or sound like them or might not might live a totally different life. But they're like, oh, but that person's struggle is also my struggle. Yeah. And I just, that <laughs> just makes me so happy. This is why I love you because it's so true. <laughs> yes. It is the, I call my, I facilitate a lot of classes and I always call them family. The program is designed by the CDC to become a support group. That's mm-hmm. how it's designed to be. Mm-hmm. And what is beautiful about it is there is black and white and Hispanic and Asian and Muslim in there and male and female and old and young and Mm -hmm. they're all in there but it is one common goal Mm -hmm. which is to prolong their life and to live happy longer healthier lives they're all in there for the same mission Mm -hmm. Uh, and the support is so beautiful when you see maybe there's somebody who's writing go bus and then another person starts taking them we also buddy them up so this is your buddy talk about fat grams during the week when you have a stressor call your buddy and so it's designed to become that way and Mm -hmm. it is magical Mm -hmm. and to get people to look at you might not ever I always say as a Caucasian you could probably live your whole entire life not um, intimately engaging with a person of color yep people of color have to engage with Caucasians but not the other way around yes so in that intimate setting they see them as human beings and not as the color that you may have only seen them yeah so in my very first class there was a woman that african-american woman who fell into homelessness she brought her daughter every time and rode the go bus Mm -hmm. and um didn't have school supplies, didn't have coat. That class got her, first of all, storage when she got evicted. Mm-hmm. They paid her first and last month's rent for her to move and bought all the school supplies and the coat for her young child. Oh, it gives me chills. Um, and it was beautiful. She's the only African-American in that class. And mm-hmm. it was done with pride mm-hmm. and just all in love. And she felt loved and she ended up moving to Texas, but she still writes our group. Because uh-huh. um, our group, this was four years ago, that group still has a uh, closed Facebook where we talk and she still writes Uh. about how they're doing well and really how much that group of, they were Spectrum employees, all of them, um, impacted her life and really changed her and got her to see Caucasians in a different light. And I thought, this is magical. Nothing that you'd expect with DPP, but it's all of these things that filter out that is so good for the world. Yes that um, you come together for a common goal and you don't look different. You yeah. forget that I'm black and you're white and, you you know, you forget. Yes. And yeah. It's, it's beautiful. And, and when it's not like, life. we're going to come to the room to talk about racism. Like, when yeah. it's not yeah. like this, <laughs> yes. now we're going to, it's just this organic community building it thing. Is. It's how oh. love and respect, how it turns into, you know, that when you have that, then to me, it kills the racism because right. you love, you love me on an intimate basis. You love me because I'm Val. Like yes. you, and then you forget about all of that. So it's interesting how people take so much time to focus on the differences when there are so many right. similarities. Yes. And when you get in that class and you hear, oh my gosh, oh, you were abused by your dad too, or oh, you were right. abandoned by your, oh, your husband left you too, you forget about right. that that lady's black. Yes. It's because the, she's lived the exact same thing. Yes. It's the whole thing, like, I'm saying this wrong, but some very smart person said, like, hate can't survive proximity. Yes. Or, or um, you know 
prejudice can't survive proximity. You get close enough to somebody, and it's just, like you said, it just disappears. It does. Yeah. It does, and I see it happen all the time. When I, when I started facilitating, um, I would get nervous every time because I was uh-huh. the only black there. Uh-huh. And I would be nervous. How am I going to be perceived? And yeah. it would always be magical. When I went to Grand Valley, they were all in academia, and I was like, oh, here we go again. So then I was nervous again. Yeah. And then I realized, Val, you can only be you, and yeah. you can't change who you are, and these people will gravitate to you or they'll drop the class. And I had to be okay with that. Yeah. And um, now I go in with best intentions that they're here, and I have something these people want to know. It's all going to work, and mm-hmm. have never had a problem. So even for myself to get over the feeling mm-hmm that I was going to be rejected and it has never happened. And if it did, I didn't know about it, so it didn't hurt me. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, you go with what you got and you give it all you got. And that's how it has worked so very beautifully. And so yeah. we've brought other coaches on who coach classes that don't look like them. And yep. it's working beautifully because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, these people don't want diabetes. Right. And that's what you remember going in. Right. You have the tool to successful, successfully manage their life. Yeah. In regards to physical activity and, and, and eating better. Yeah. Now, this might be a little bit off track, but I'm just curious. Because you walk in a room and you are just a bright light. You're a, you seem outwardly like the most Thank confident you. person I've ever met yeah. in my whole entire life, right? <laughs> yeah. No. So, um, which I would assume you probably get that a lot. Like, oh, you? You could possibly not All have any problems yeah. with self-image or no, fear yeah. or any of that because mm-hmm. you just put yourself out in the world like the most confident person Mm -hmm. what helps you keep doing that and not get I'm sure you get exhausted but what helps you work through exhaustion or um fatigue or whatever because you do keep showing up in the way that you do constantly well I'll tell you it um I was really born a workhorse. My mother mm-hmm. taught me um, that hard work and dedication is how you're going to get through this life. And mm-hmm. that as a black woman, mm-hmm. that I had to go above and beyond. Mm-hmm. And I had to give 120% all the time. My mom really raised me like that. Yeah. My mom is also a natural workhorse. So that mm-hmm. helped me. I also, when I came to the Kidney Foundation, didn't know anything about kidneys. I didn't mm-hmm. even know where they were. Mm-hmm. Okay. And... Um, I really wanted to get enmeshed into what this was and to try to understand it. And then that dad that I talked about earlier with his diabetes and uncontrolled hypertension, um, that dad was a heroin addict and um, did not take care of himself. And my dad's kidneys ended up failing. Okay. And um, they told him that he needed to go on dialysis. And so this is a whole nother realm of of issues in the Mm -hmm. world heroin or opiate addiction is painful it is painful to the bone it is a very painful disease mm-hmm. and my dad did not want to go through withdrawal every other day because every time he dialyzed he felt that he would be in withdrawal which was true <sighs> yeah and so my dad killed himself oh and my, my gosh, dad was 57 Val. years old and my passion then went like through the roof because right i was not raised by him i was adopted by a preacher and lived a wonderful life and i i reconnected with my biological father um on a different level but still you mm-hmm. know i had feelings for him and um, i just remember seeing him my dad had been dead for days mm-hmm. um, when we found him mm-hmm. and um, there were drugs everywhere mm-hmm. he was nude his legs were like split open from the diabetes mm-hmm. um and i thought this is not how this 
should happen. And all of the years that I worked with or tried to work with my dad to control this diabetes and to do something about his hypertension and he wouldn't do either. And I couldn't save his life, but I do this every single day. So it gave me like this really uncontrolled desire to save somebody else's dad. And I was like, I couldn't do it for him, but I can do it for somebody else's dad. And that's was like my push every single day even when I don't want to get up I'm thinking there is a life out there to touch and it's worth it yeah um to work through whatever I have going to give somebody a nugget that I have in my head Mm -hmm. that can potentially save their life Mm -hmm. because if you follow it it will absolutely save your life it brings Mm -hmm. down blood sugars so fast Mm -hmm. and I'm like oh if more people would buy into this yeah especially in the medical world there's a lot of dietitians that uh, question this and are not happy about this all the time, all yeah. the time, because it's not what they were taught. They were taught carbs. Yep. And so they don't know. But I'm telling you, Mercy Health Physician Partners, once again, mm-hmm. there is this doctor named Dr. Sayer, mm-hmm. who is their medical director, who is just this lovely man mm-hmm. who believed in it from day one and really became our champion. Okay. And, um, even though it's Mercy Health Physician Partners, Priority Health reached out to him. This is how invested this man is mm-hmm. and said, hey, we want to work with this group, your group, with spreading this to the to the physician's offices and the practices at Mercy Physician Partners um, for you to be referring into the program. And that's exactly what he did. Mm-hmm. He set up this database all on his own. And now they're referring into both DIP, which is the Diabetes Improvement Program, and DPP, the Diabetes Prevention Program. Mm -hmm. So I always knew in my heart that the Diabetes Improvement Program Mm -hmm. would be what would get doctors because there is no billable code for prediabetes. But they are paid and scorned for diabetic outcomes. So when we came up with this dip is when doctors went, crazy for it yeah and so there's referrals coming all along the the lake shore Mm -hmm. um, which the kidney disease they have the highest rate of kidney failure in the state along Mm -hmm. the the lake shore so it has been a beautiful venture partnering with mercy health physician partners and it's interesting because priority health funds it which is spectrum Uh but the doctors referring are mercy health doctors Mm -hmm. so again mercy is not only our largest funder, but they are our largest partner mm-hmm. in the in the life saving work of kidney prevention, which you guys are the you know premier kidney hospital in the country. So it makes sense yep. that we work together. But wow, when these doctors came and recognized, we have got to do something because what we're doing doesn't work. Yep. Yeah. Or we wouldn't have these many people on the transplant list. This isn't working. How we manage diabetes. Yeah. So hi, this is Andrea coming at you in the middle here, just just me, um, because when I was recording with Val, all of a sudden, my computer went black. It just went black and shut off. So I still, to this day, have no idea what happened. Um, so there's a little bit of a weird transition in the middle of our interview because my computer broke down. So then off air, Val and I started talking about how her son is in IT and how he just all day long tells people to unplug and plug back in their devices or turn them off and turn them back on. Really, that's all That's all he tells people to do because we never think of it on our own. So anyway, no sponsorship or anything in the middle here. Just wanting to give you um, a little info on why this transition sounds a little clunky. And we're back to Val Cubs. Agriculture, he says Same that's what he go. tells people all day. Yeah, wait, I know they, they, they have to just have you tried to turn it off and turn it every, every time. I do it all day, Ma. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's what they think. You do. He's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it works. 
<laughs> so Val, I like to ask three questions of all my guests. Sure. The first one is, what do you think is a way that people can create more or deeper connection, either just one-on-one or in their community, like genuine connection? I think it I think it all starts to me with openness. Mm-hmm. And I think it's being open about your true feelings. Yeah. Open about your fears. Mm-hmm. Yes. And open about your ignorance. Mm-hmm. And so ignorance yes. isn't bad. Ignorance just means you don't know. Yep. So I think if people were open about that, then there was so much more space for dialogue and so much more space to get to understand and interpret other by when um I think when uh, Dr. King said, looking at a person's content of their character, when you don't get close enough to figure it out, then you never right. know. Right. There's just assumptions of what you see based upon a skin color and what you've historically been told about that skin color. Yep. Until you actually engage and say, hey, I don't know. Yes. Or, hey, I'm fearful. Um, then it will continue to yep. manifest in the way that it is. It's kind of like when people are now, black people, all black people feel that police or the cops are all racist and they're just out to get us when i look at the situation i feel that it is fear-based that there is a natural fear of african-american men Mm -hmm. so when you come up against an african-american man it is your fight or flight takes even though you've had all of this training Mm -hmm. your natural instinct is to be fearful Mm -hmm. of this black man and i feel like this is why this gets out of control i don't think it's that all of these people hate black people. I don't believe that that's yeah. what's happening. So I think if we were honest about that yep. and then really had some real cultural diversity work, not like you talked about with me earlier, let's look at a piece of paper and let's look at um, sexism and let's look at, you know, let's look at uh, privilege and let's look, but real intimate work yeah. done with people who don't look like us so yeah. that they understand how we feel with an open mind yeah. and we're listening to how they feel. And then trying to understand, I feel like it is a much w- uh, a better way to bridge what is happening mm-hmm. um, because society right now is so strange. We mm-hmm. have leadership that says racism is absolutely appropriate. Yep. Uh, sexism is absolutely appropriate. Yep. Elitism is absolutely appropriate. Sure. Mm-hmm. So when you get that from the top down, then mm-hmm. to me, any feelings that you might have hidden your whole entire life or never even explored, now, well, let's explore it. Yep. And so there's been this explosion of complete disrespect towards other human beings. Mm -hmm. And that is unfortunate. I do think that there's goodness that has come out of it because there are people, Andrea, like you. Mm -hmm. And there's people like Michaela at my job Mm -hmm. who stand up and say, this is wrong. Mm -hmm. And that I myself have to take a stand. And it is going to take Caucasians making the stand because african-americans make the stand it doesn't matter because then we are these aggressive black people and black lives matter is is a movement to kill all white people Mm -hmm. and all of these things come about until caucasians stand up and say this is not okay Mm -hmm. that we cannot suppress other people Mm -hmm. so that we can progress because that's not how it should be right and so i always applaud when caucasians stand up and say in order for me to be this, you don't have to be this. Mm-hmm. And I see it happening more and more and more. And I think because things are getting so egregious that people are like, this is out of control. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I, because our program now works with a lot of Latinos, that was a community that I never thought about. Like all of what's going on with Latinos. Now that I work so closely with Latinos, 
it drives me insane mm -hmm. with all that they deal with and all that is happening and their fears of driving. And it's just a very sad situation for Latinos who, if it were not for Latinos, we wouldn't have cost-effective fruits and vegetables. We would. These right. are jobs that Americans are way too lazy to do. We should mm -hmm. be honest about that, mm -hmm. of what these families are giving up and enduring yes. so that Americans are comfortable. Right. Because Hispanics are the ones that are doing all of that work. Yeah. At unfair wage, with long hours, yeah. with children under work age in the United States doing a lot of this yeah. work. Those are the sacrifices that they make to feed their family so yeah. that we can feed ours. And there's such a lack of respect when we have our government saying that these are all rapists and pilferers and yeah. thieves and all of these things that they have been said. Yeah. And never once has anybody stood up and said, this is a hard working group of people that work yeah. extremely hard yes. to provide for their families. Never once does that come out. Yeah. And so I think it's another thing of another thing of I need to tear down them so I can be this. Right. And there's so much room on this earth for everybody to yes. be here. If it wasn't, God wouldn't have made it this way. He would have mm -hmm. only made one race, and that's what have been it. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, he did. He only mm -hmm. made one, and it's the human race. Right. We like to separate it all out and segment it all out yeah. into who's here, who's here, who's, and sit them in these special pots that we have to live in. Mm -hmm. um, and it's sad. It is. When yeah. he designed this for us to all come together in love and good mm -hmm. spirit and be kind and gentle to one another. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I feel the more that the hatred spills, though, that more people rise up. Yeah. And um, when communities will rise up, I kind of think, like East Grand Rapids, you know, when they had, it was just in the news a couple of weeks ago where there were the signs put in, the, the White Lives Matter signs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that that community rise up and said, no, yeah. no, no, this yeah. is not what we're doing. I don't know how this got here. Yeah. I thought that was a wonderful statement and that they played it on the news to say, mm -hmm. listen, because we've made it. Mm -hmm. to the point where we can live in East Grand Rapids does not mean that we think we are better mm -hmm. or we're more well-suited or more deserved in the world. So I was very proud of the news that day mm -hmm. yeah. so that other communities and other groups of people know that when you ride through East Grand Rapids, everybody in their houses are not thinking that you're trash or you're less than. I yes. thought it was a beautiful statement of love that this yeah. is not accepted and we will not tolerate this. Because when you look at it, you think that those people are raising children who yeah. have those same belief systems and values. So that can go one way or the other. So mm -hmm. if you fill it with goodness, um, then goodness comes out of that. And if they're allowed to have open discussions about differences and things that they don't understand, yeah. then there's more room um, for inclusion. Yeah. And that's exciting. Yeah. I went to my good friend Jen. She's our fundraiser at the Kidney Foundation. And I went to her son's Valentine's Day party to help her. Mm hmm and I was introduced as Aunt Val because his whole entire life I've been Aunt Val. Mm -hmm. None of the kids questioned it that day. Sure. But the next day, oh. <laughs> they asked uh, Jackson, that's his name, uh -huh. how did he get a black aunt? Oh. And uh, he was befuddled and he said, from birth. Right. That was his answer. <laughs> Hello. From birth. From birth. But he said his friends were like, okay. Yeah. Like that was it normal to him it wasn't normal to them mm -hmm. but he made it normal in that moment for them to say yeah yeah i can be white and i can have a black aunt right. and it worked just fine yes and so now every week they're asking if aunt val's like right. coming to class so <laughs> i thought it was a wonderful experience that i didn't expect to happen i was just passing out valentine day treats yes but how wonderful for those kids in byron center yep where there aren't any black kids nope so i thought that was like a marvelous moment and so yeah. proud that 
I've played a part in Jackson's life to where all he knows is this is his Aunt Val from birth. Right. That yes. happens to have a darker skin than he does. So, And we can learn very... so much from, I mean, obviously, we can learn so much from kids because he's not thinking 20 thoughts before he says that. That's right. He's not thinking, what are they going to think of me? And what what am I going to sound like? And am I going to say the right thing? Yeah. And da, da, da. all that fear hasn't built up in him yet. Yeah. So, I mean, I... It's heartening to hear you say that, like, the reaction of people that live in Eastern Rapids to those signs was, was heartening to you as a yes, person of color. It was. I feel like we have just so much work to do yeah. um, in this particular community that I reside in. Um, and we are scratching the surface. Um, but it's, yeah, it's nice to hear because there's so much fear in doing the work as being a person it, that's it trying is, to do the it's work. Fear. It's fear. Fear I don't think it's a gut, like, that's not what I want, or I don't believe it. I feel no. that it's p- fear of the person next door, and what are they going to think? Yeah. Or fear of what will my mother think, or what will my uncle think? Or I know I hear on Facebook all the time people are defriending friends yeah. and arguing with family over their belief systems yeah. um, and how they differ from a family member. So I feel like it's all of that. People feel like, why stir the pot? Yeah. I can sit in my comfort and do these small things, but I don't have to let the world know so that then I'm not judged by that. Yeah. But when you move beyond that fear and realize this is necessary yeah. for a better tomorrow yep. and a happier today, yes, then it's worth moving beyond it. So yeah. I giggled with you when I was looking to figure out where your house was and I saw all those signs. So I didn't even have to look at the address because mm-hmm. I go, that's her house. <laughs> to me, that is a statement to the way that you choose to live your life that I would know I'm pulling up to this woman's house and ain't nobody else on the block going to have these but Andrea. Mm-hmm. So I think it speaks volumes well, you. to you and what you're, even on your Facebook page with the things that you do with women and underserved women, all of these things that you teach your daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I learned today your, your baby boy that I didn't even know about. <laughs> is I think just a, a magnificent testimony of you um, not speaking it but living it every single day is important to say. We are all the same yep. at the end of the day. Yeah. We bleed the same. We eat the same. We sleep and we feel and we hurt all the same. The yeah. difference is how lucky were you in life? Yep. Were you born into privilege or were you not? Right. That's the only difference. Yep. Yeah. Right? But the struggle in life is all the same. We might have more or different, but we're all struggling through life. Yes. You and I, night and day, we're black and white. Mm-hmm. I'm lay health education you're a social worker but we're both women Mm -hmm. we're both working in this kidney realm Mm -hmm. we both have this desire for a better tomorrow so there's many Mm -hmm. more likenesses than differences for us and i think that's why we've been able to maintain a relationship all these years because it never mattered yep because we have so much in common with our life's mission yeah well thank you for that you're one of the beautiful voices in my head that makes me want to do the work and move beyond my silly fears and you know and just it's fears are get natural, out there and do though. it that's the thing it's it's natural and in your work i know that you work a lot with african-americans because there's so many kidney patients that mm-hmm. are african-american but in life's work and we talked about this earlier that white people do not have to intimately connect with people of color. Yep. People of color have to connect with yes. Caucasians. That's how it works. So our fear of Caucasians is very, very different, and it's not necessarily a fear. It's a distrust. Yes. To me, Caucasians have an absolute fear uh-huh. of black people, mm-hmm. and that's the difference. One is trust and one is fear, but I think it's okay to be honest about that and say, yeah. I do have this fear because I don't know. Yeah. 
and this is what I've been told or this is what I've seen or this is what I felt but be honest about it and yeah. then engage with somebody of that culture and recognize that might have been an experience you had or somebody in your family had but there are many more people yeah who are kind and generous and loving just as you are yeah and then spend your time on those instead of focusing on the one scary person that you might have seen 27 years ago yeah yeah and, but it's the fear is natural of the unknown yeah right well, and my fear is also that I'm not going to do justice to the work. I'm not going to do do the work right. I'm not going to do I'm not going to honor people of color enough. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to do it the right way. And really, you just need to do something. And realize and, that it's not all your job. It, right. It, right? It takes many right. more people than you, right? So you as Andrea can only do what you can do and yeah. what you can do is beautiful and it might inspire others to say hey well she was strong enough to do that so what can I do and then it grows into a whole village of people doing the work yeah. right and it's not just Caucasians that need to do the work too black people need to do the work too we mm -hmm. need to be more open we need to become more trusting we need to assume best intentions mm -hmm. and so when we begin to open ourselves and realize that all white people are not out here to thumb us they're not out here to shun us they're not out here to put us down and I'm going to tell you um, the best help I ever got in my whole entire life was from a white person many white people in mm -hmm. my life when I was homeless living in a battered woman shelter and pregnant it was the people from Easter Seals that were all white I was the only black that came to my aid and really saved my life and my mm -hmm. boss Beth and Willie Bowers became like my pseudo parents because mm -hmm. my parents moved away I started working with her when I was 15 years old, so my whole life she has basically um, been my parents and did absolutely everything for me. Any crisis I ever had, when I went to jail, they came and got me from mm -hmm. the UP. Like, I mean, this is like real. When my daughter was attacked, they it was at three o'clock in the morning, they got up, I mm -hmm. called them, they immediately came. The husband was at work, because he worked third shift, got off work, mm -hmm. met me up there. Mm -hmm. This was family to me, they just happened yeah. to have white skin. Yeah. But they, loved me it yeah. was just pure unadulterated love yeah of me this black girl because they saw beyond that yeah. and um she has since died uh -huh. and her children are now my brothers and sisters yeah. and that's how we still relate we are still close so mm -hmm. that relationship will go for forever yep and that is so vital to me that i met this woman that had a beautiful loving kind giving spirit mm -hmm. she didn't have fear of black people though because they'd always been in her family her yeah. her sister has only dated black men mm -hmm. married a black man has all black children mm -hmm. so black people have always been in the midst of their family so that took away the fear but yeah. what a wonderful place if the world could settle like yes that. yes to embrace me because of me yes was incredible and yeah. I couldn't have made it in this world to where I have without she literally taught me yeah. almost everything I know professionally yeah. everything yeah oh that's beautiful mm -hmm. so we're gonna go a whole a maybe lighter direction yeah <laughs> um and talk about favorite things did I prep you with this yeah I think I did okay yeah. so I just like to, I'm just always curious about what people are loving and what makes them smile and mm -hmm. so what are a few things that you love <laughs> This is hilarious because I've been working with this life coach for seven months. Uh huh. And um, he keeps telling me I need to work on this because my work is absolutely what I love. Uh -huh. It is where my fire comes from. Uh -huh. um, but he's like, you really need more than that mm -hmm. for work. So I've been trying to figure it out, but mm -hmm. I have no idea, Andrea. So when I saw that question, I was like, oh, my life coach has asked me a million times. 
So my work is what I like, and it's because I believe it's the work, it's the purpose, yeah. but it also is all these people I get to meet. Every class, I think, these 20 people would have never been in my life. Yeah. And so now I have all these people that I know from yeah. all these different realms of life, and it's so exciting. I can go to any city and have friends mm -hmm. and have lunch and dinners and mm -hmm. drinks, and it, that's really, really cool. Yeah. Um, I have my wonderful, wonderful daughter who yes. lives in Warren now. She is my delight. She's 26. She's an accountant and busy. And so she is my favorite thing. I shouldn't say that since I have yeah. two, but it's true. She <laughs> is my absolute favorite thing. She's just yeah. delightful. Her heart is pure. Yeah. And um, she's such a gift to the world because yeah. she is kind and giving in so many different ways so she's kind of my thing mm -hmm. i have a big old pit bull who yes. is precious and gentle so i say just like black people get a bad rap pit bulls get a bad rap as they well do. they're yep. known as killers and vicious beasts and they're actually so kind and so gentle when they are raised right mm -hmm. they are loving to a fault mm -hmm. um and he's just i get excited to go home and see him because he's just delightful. Mm -hmm. So that's my favorite thing. I love it. Yeah. yeah. We were talking about pets before we started yeah. recording and I have two emotionally damaged dogs <laughs> and I just got a tiny bearded dragon. We went off on that whole rant, but yeah, pets are great They're for all of their the craziness. Best. They but are you know just what? wonderful. When I think about people. So in this weight loss journey of the diabetes prevention program, a lot of people get dogs because it forces them to walk. Oh, and yeah. part of the program is getting 30 minutes of physical activity a day. So they get dogs. But I always think of the extended benefit that they're getting. Yeah. Because a lot of the, it's a lot of women in the program because men don't live as long. So there's a lot of senior women. Yep. And so that dog also can aid them in their loneliness, which will then yes. give them something to focus on other than food. So dogs in particular, and I'm a, I'm a dog lover. So people say it's with cats too. I don't know how, but... Dogs <laughs> need you. Yes. And the love that they give yeah. is so incredible. To me, it's tenfold of what you give them. And so I love when people tell me that they got a new dog and they're yeah. rescuing dogs, which is really important. Mm -hmm. But the dog is giving them so much love back. And I love, love, love when people tell me they get a pet. So yes. um, pets are important. And as my daughter moved away, I went through a, a serious depression. I was trying to find apartments in Detroit. Like I was really going uh -huh. hard. <laughs> and um, it was so nice to have King there because I knew somebody would be waiting every day that needed me yes. at the house. So I did foster care for a long time. And so not having those kids and my daughter was like a great loss all at the same time. Yes. And so my big boy has taken the place. He yes. thinks he's a lab dog, even oh. though he's 90 pounds. Sure. That yeah. might be a problem. Right. <laughs> But other than that, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Well, you just continue to teach me every time we talk. I love it so much. And I'm so grateful that you came over today and yes, dealt with. We had some technical house issues. Is gorgeous for all of you who don't see it. And it <laughs> looks 100% like you. And I try. Yeah. Yes. It's all sorts of eclectic craziness. It's the yes. best. But it all goes together. <laughs> I even walk and go, yeah. yeah, she has black people on her wall. I'm like, there's something wrong with her. <laughs> It's such a marvelous right. way. I love it. Yes. You do. You you don't just speak it. You live it. Oh, and thank it's, you. And uh, it's amazing. That means a lot. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. That's a wrap. I love her so much. I know I say that every time, but... 
We talked long after I stopped recording and it absolutely made my day. For me, Val is like the perfect example of someone that I want to listen so closely to. She is living an experience and she's part of a group that I know nothing about and I don't want to make assumptions about other people's lived experience. I want to move in and hear their words without my judgment or assumptions. She's so wise and so generous with her wisdom and experience because she has been through it all. Every time she tells a story, I'm like, of course you have lived through that and learned an amazing lesson and you're willing to share it because she's just incredible. Um, I hope that you will check out the diabetes prevention programs that she talked about. Maybe those programs resonate with you or someone in your life. As Val said, you don't want your kidneys to fall out your back. So check those programs out and share them with your loved ones. Um, We all know someone with diabetes or high blood pressure, I'm sure of it. I also love when she said that what happens to a pre-diabetic person in the group is cute, but what happens to a diabetic person is life-saving. So check them out. I will link to them in the show notes. Did you also catch it when she said she's motivated to do all of the things she does to save someone else's dad? I could just cry thinking about it because I know that she has the same deeply held belief that I do that we're all connected and she lives it. She advocates for it. She does it every single day. Um, The Kidney Walk is right around the corner, which is an event held every year by the National Kidney Foundation. I am walking in it this year and I have a fundraising page that I will link to in the show notes. The money raised um, helps to raise awareness for kidney disease and funds for kidney prevention programs that the National Kidney Foundation runs. Goes to a great, great organization. So I will link up to that. Um, Toward the end, we talked more about anti-racism work, um, communicating with people of different races, just general relationship stuff related to anti-racism. And I will be totally honest here, you guys, it was so uncomfortable for me when Val was complimenting my actions or things that I've done that like as a teeny bit of advocacy. I just feel like there is a huge iceberg of work to be done and I have lifted like one tiny ice cube. And so as I said in my interview, or in the interview, my fear is always that I won't advocate enough or I'll do it something in the wrong way or I'll say the wrong words or I'll offend someone and that's just how I'm wired. But listening to Val encourages me to just keep showing up, just keep doing something. And if we all do our something, the anti-racism work will get done. So I just am so glad you listened. I'm grateful every single time that somebody stops me and tells me that they've listened. I really, really appreciate it. And I cannot wait for the next time that I get to take the middle seat.